Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the Dollar Dog Sunday Sports Podcast presented by Tailgater Sports Media Company. No bullshit takes with a bite. I'm your host, Brian Plaskin. We are finally full-staffed on host for this show. Cousin Joe, Young Buckets Esquire, Glenn Coco, and the Mitt Doug are all here with me today. This feels complete, guys. I feel like I'm Thanos putting that last Infinity Stone in the Infinity Gauntlet. This is the real shit right here. You well, guys it five stones? We got five stones, yeah. Five stones. I'm saying, but does the actual gauntlet have five stones? It might have six. I don't fucking know. I think it's six. Uh, well, you know, it's close enough. We got a hell of a show put together for you guys today. Um, we're going to go back, talk a little bit of Cubs, White Sox, baseball, some bad, some good. And uh, we're even going to get into our own personal test tube quarterback. We're going to kind of lab it up and put something together for you guys. Um, but why don't, why don't we start with our normal recap of Chicago baseball? And let's go with the positives this week with the Cubs. The Cubs are continuing to stay hot. Uh, Ian Happ is playing like uh, the MVP of this team. Uh, 309 batting average, three home runs, 11 RBIs. The guys really taking <laughs> the 60-game season to heart, really, really bringing it every day. Uh, and it just feels like there's no holes in this lineup. Glenny, I mean, what do you guys got right now with Cubs baseball? I mean, you said it all. I mean, Ian Happ has been absolutely phenomenal this year. And David Ross come out and said he is our center fielder. That was a big hole in the beginning of the year. Who is going to play center field for the Cubs? Who's going to be in the outfield? You got Al Mora, who is great, great glove, great defensive uh, replacement in later innings. But Happ tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, 309 batting average, like you said, just going from both sides of the plate been absolutely phenomenal i'm gonna go again and start to keep talking about cubs starting pitching because it is great i mean lester hendricks darvish i mean alex mills other than the three-run bomb to yelich looked fantastic i mean you darvish 11 strikeouts seven innings one earned run hendricks five strikeouts one earned run in six innings and uh lester six innings four strikeouts and one earned uh i mean it's fun to watch these guys come out and just getting deep into games. And I've stressed that I'm not very happy with the Cubs bullpen. Uh, struggles continue uh, to kind of stay there. Uh, Jeremy Jeffress, only shining star, I would say, in the Cubs bullpen. I mean, up until uh, yesterday's game, he did not give up a hit. Uh, Which is amazing because this is a guy who was a, re a retread from the Brewers, and the Brewers thought yeah. that this guy didn't have the stuff to fit in the back end of the bullpen, and he comes to the north side and is just absolutely tearing it up. Absolutely, and it, he's been great in our pen. Granted, he did get the loss yesterday um, in a, I mean, a hard-fought game. I'm just I'm happy with the Cubs' offense, putting up runs. Their, uh, their at-bats are phenomenal, taking pitches, working the count, uh, making pitchers throw strikes. I mean, that's getting getting that pitch count up, getting those starting pitchers out, getting on them early. I mean, that's been a uh, continued trend uh, with the Cubs this year. And, and that's been one of the most, uh, I think, defining qualities of this Cubs team. Uh, in looking at the south side and looking at the north side right now, you can see a complete polar opposite in professional at-bats. The Cubs Absolutely. come up to the plate and are looking to do something. They have a plan going up to the plate, and it just seems like White Sox hitters aren't following suit in the city of Chicago with the kind of quality at-bats these Cubs players are having every time they, 
you know, they get in the batter's box. Now, do you think this is a coaching thing? Do you think this is uh, something we just have to give all the credit to Ross for? Or is this just a, a pure talent thing, kind of, you know, the, the, crop, the cream of the crop kind of rising here in, in a crazy different year? I mean, I'm not saying you have to give all the credit to Rossi. I mean, I've loved how he's taken over this Cubs team and revamped this Cubs team. They are still having fun. I mean, they're off day Monday. Ross had them out there taking batting practice with – they had a uh, – it was like a bunch of starts. They called it their star-studded event. And you had – they had cardboard cutouts out there. They had Jordan. You had – members of the Blackhawks. It was fun, fun to watch. They were sitting there, hey, you know, two points if you hit Jordan in right center field. I mean, they're having fun. They're playing the game. So these guys are coming up absolutely having professional at-bats. Am I still going to give it all to Ross? No. These guys are all vets of the game. They've been around in this Cubs organization for a while. They know the system, and they are finally blooming in a sense of maybe maturing at the plate. Uh, I mean, you look at Javi Baez, who is having a very down year so far this year. But, I mean, you look at him from his rookie season, swinging out of his shoes at 50-footers that are five feet outside, and now he's sitting there working the count, taking pitches. Ian yeah. Happ, another one, great, having a great season. Another one that was – had a lot of uh, problems striking out beginning of his career who has now settled in and is finally becoming a player. Everybody's uh, wanting him and has been looking him to be for the last few years. And it's, it's great to see. Yeah. I think uh, David Ross has a big part of it for sure, because uh, I think because he played with these guys and because he's played in this era of baseball, he knows how the players need to get communicated with the manager. Um, he knows how how they react and everything. He knows their bugaboos, everything. And the fact that he knows that he could communicate with these players so well that they will listen to him and understand him more than, uh, let's say, like that little league manager that's managing the fucking White Sox. I'll, I'll get to that later. But <laughs> I think David Ross oh, is a God. huge part of this Cubs success, and I think it's really showing. I think he really knows the game too. Um, and I want to get back at the starting pitching. I'm looking at these stats, and I'm seeing Hendricks 308, you Darvish 188, Mills 284, Lester 106. That's fantastic. That's what you need out of your, starting, your first starting four. And I know Chatwood has some games where he struggled, but he's doing better than I thought, and probably than what you thought too, right, Glenn? Absolutely. I mean, he's actually throwing the ball over the plate this year. I mean, his – one bad outing uh, so far, I mean, didn't get out of the second uh, inning, but I mean, it wasn't the fact that he was walking batters, which has been, you know, his problem in the past. I mean, he was missing over the plate, which is another thing you don't want to do to major league hitters because they're going to make you pay every time. But I mean, it wasn't a struggle of finding the strike zone, couple of teams here and there. I do not see. And then you got Quintana coming back uh, shortly. What are we going to do with Chatwood? He's going to be your long relief guy in the fucking pen. He has to be. He's going to be uh, someone that is going to uh, – the Cubs are going to be looking uh, towards, I think, come uh, later in the season to have those, you know, spot starts uh, like Colin Ray did uh, yesterday. Well, the, I mean, this is what Theo was looking for in Tyler Chatwood. I mean, a guy that was going to, you know, see massive uh, roles uh, as far as innings go. Uh, the guys just needed to throw strikes, and it seemed like – um, his inconsistency uh, in throwing strikes was kind of plaguing him for a couple of years here. And now he's kind of figured it out and come into his own. And obviously he's giving them quality starts, which is basically all this Cubs team needs uh, a couple of uh, quality starts. And this offense will really take, you know, 
take control of the game. Um, I guess we got to go to the negative portion of this week's Cubs baseball recap. Um, and the thing that I, I keep reading and I keep seeing is that uh, Cubs are, are, are not ready to sign Anthony Rizzo to another deal. And Anthony Rizzo is afraid that this may be his last run, his last rendezvous on the north side, and the last chance to go after a title as a Chicago Cub. Uh, I think it's absolutely obscene that they would not sign him to a uh, long-term deal that would you know, land him in a Cubs uniform till retirement. Um, I guess, Glenn, I got to ask you, is Rizzo going to get another contract on the north side? I'm I'm praying he does. I mean, he's absolutely deserved it. He's come in. He's taken over that team. He's been through the ups and downs with these guys. He has expressed his interest that he wants to retire a Cub. He wants to be a lifelong Cub. I mean, three-time gold glover, three-time NL All-Star, World Series champion. I mean, been there, like I said, been there through this, uh, the thick and the thin through these guys, knows what it's like to sit there and lose and has been there through all the positives, breaking the Cubs curse and winning a World Series. He is our team captain. He is the man that you want to sit there and uh, look at. As a young kid, I mean, you want a role model to look up to. I mean, Anthony Rizzo is your guy. I mean, not only on the field, off the field as well. He has so many organizations and uh, charities he donating to and such. And, I mean, he's had a career 275 average with the Cubs. He is absolutely proven as our everyday first baseman and sign him throughout the rest of his career, give him that long-term contract. And you know what? David Ross is still around as I hope he is. You know what? Anthony Rizzo will keep looking great uh, in those pinstripes on the Cubs bench as a coach one day, I think. Yeah, no, I I definitely could see him uh, being a coach down the line, but for, for, you know, what, um, is being weighed here. You got a guy who's a, not only a gold glove, but a platinum glove award winner, a guy that's won enough silver sluggers to, you know, <laughs> shine, you know, I mean, this guy's got the medals to show for his excellence on the field. He's obviously an excellent person off the field. It seems to me that the lack of money seems either to be um, a disbelief in his performance, which I don't see why that would be, or a possible um, cut, uh, a cutting back from Cubs management in, as far as money goes. And I know that uh, the Ricketts family has mismanaged money uh, all over the place in the North Side, and obviously this season completely uh, hinders them uh, when it comes to fan revenue and uh, people inside the ballpark, which is obviously something they rely on every season. I just hope that they put enough money to the side to sign a guy who – is a generational talent. I know I say that a lot, but he's a generational talent at first base, a guy that is, is one of the prolific power hitters in the national league and just somebody that you want on your team for, you know, you want him in your foxhole when you're going to war. He's the type of guy you want. Um, that's about as negative it gets on the North side, but the white, you know, the white Sox on the South side, we've got, I think we got a bit of a dumpster fire fucking happening right now. The Sox are a complete fucking mess. The last, three games we've seen them um the starting pitching has scared me thus far uh i, I don't think that it's time to panic but it, it's definitely time to say that they're scaring me it's time to say that lucas giolito coming out and having a, a game in which he's uh throwing 34 percent strikes in the zone that scares the shit out of me uh not to mention he's not getting swings and misses nearly as much uh geo start yesterday 
was one of the starts where I scratch my head and I go, who is this guy? Um, I'm hoping that it doesn't carry into his next start. It seems like when he has one of these starts, he backs it up with a, a fucking dominating performance. So I'm hoping to keep seeing that. Maybe, you know, we stray away from giving up four or five runs through three or four with five walks or whatever it was, you know, hopefully we stray away from that and maybe uh, contain the damage a little bit. A little bit of damage control can go a long way for him. As, as, far, you know, as long as his offense is kind of producing, which obviously has its ups and downs, you know, a guy can struggle a little bit and they can still win a ball game. Uh, the other thing I, I've had a problem with is I've seen way too much of Nomar Mazzaro without a lot of production. I'd really like to see Adam Angle get him more at-bats with this team. Uh, even though he's only batting 264, he's put up some pretty nice power numbers from a guy that obviously hasn't seen regular at-bats since 2017. Um, the lack of energy and heart, though, is probably the most disheartening thing for as a fan and as a person that really cares about this team. It just seems like sometimes we're going through the fucking motions. It doesn't seem like there's enough hustle. I've seen too many guys jog to first base after a ground ball, after a flyout. You know, it's just or not cover it. Things. It's just the little things that this team doesn't do that maybe gets to me a little more than the average person. And I think the bandwagon is falling apart. And if you don't want to fucking be a fan, get the fuck out. I'm tired of hearing the hype and the young guns till a week later where we're ready to burn our Eloy jerseys. You know, I, I, I am in a, in a mode right now in which I don't want to hear people talk about the national, uh, or I should say the national presence of this team. I don't want to hear about how, excited everybody is about the White Sox and then a week later shit on them because they didn't play as great as they thought they were going to play. Um, I just want to see this team kind of move forward. And I think that there's a lot here. There's a ton of talent that just needs to come together. I think it's not time to panic yet. We've only played 20 games out of our 60, even though it is a third of the season, we still got a lot of fucking baseball to play. The positives that I looked at at this team Mendick is earning every second of fucking playing time he has out there, whether it's hitting, whether it's his defense, whether it's running the bases, that guy hustles, he's got heart, and he hits the uh, op- hits to the opposite field, which is uh, obviously a new concept for these motherfuckers because nobody wants to shorten up and go to right field. Robert is hitting the ball. Eloy is driving baseballs. Mancata having aches and pains at 24 years old and seven, 77 at-bats. I have no fucking idea how to, what I should say about it, how I should feel about it, but he needs to play every day. Now, I know he had COVID, but this is no excuse for a 24-year-old to say, I'm tired today. It's a 60-game fucking season. You could be tired in 60 games. Be tired at the end of the season. When we're sitting at home in October, you can be real fucking tired then. So I just want this team to realize that there is a sense of urgency in every one of these games. And there needs to be something that switches on with these guys. Joey, I know you got a lot to say about this, man. Yeah, sense of urgency is a big thing. Um, so I do positives and negatives every week. Let me tell you the positives. There's one fucking positive. <laughs> Dallas Keuchel getting on his players, which I love to see. Finally, Fuck, yes. a leader. Finally a leader on this team to say, hey, guys, you look like shit today. Let's start playing better. And – Sometimes you do need to hear it from a player, but you need to hear it from the manager too, and I'll get to the shitty manager in a second. Um, 
these players came out flat in that first game with the Tigers. And after Keuchel said his piece, the next two games, they came out playing like what I think they could play like. And I think the game, the game after that, Joe, was a back-to-back home run, I think, from Anderson yeah. and Eloy in the one and two spot, correct? Yes, exactly. He exactly. fucking came out and hit the ball from the get-go. It was, I mean, unfortunately, I was at work during this, but I was getting updates on my phone, and I was going crazy. And everyone at work's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, but, updates um, for fucking me. I was freaking yeah. out. So, and Tim Anderson coming back from injury is a big thing. Um, however, we play a doubleheader against the Cardinals later this week. And both games looked flat as fuck. Three hits in game one, three hits in game two. That's a total of six hits and 14 innings. These guys look like they don't want to fucking play the game. And, and that's what Keiko was trying to say. You guys, there's some guys that put their heart and soul out there, like Mendick. I'll call Mendick out for that. That guy tries his fucking hardest, and I feel bad for him. And then there's some guys that just go through the motions. And I hate to call him out because I like this player. But, Yohan Moncada, you're looking like a lazy son of a bitch. And I'm sick of it. You got to play like the MVP that you can be. And now let's go to Renteria. He is not taking accountability. You got to get on your fucking players. I don't care. Oh, my God, let's get everybody some playing time. I don't give a shit. You play the hot hand. Adam Angle's clearly playing by Mazzara. Edwin Encarnacion is banning a 179. Like, and you, you put it in, you, you bench McCann, who is hitting a ton and could call a good game, who should be catching Giolito every game. I would say either way you have Grandall or McCann, whether it be one of them at DH, one of them at catcher, you should play both of them until one of them starts struggling. And then you could put Encarnacion in and maybe hope that he could hit. But you play the hot hand, and I want to talk about this fucking, oh, my God, this game two against the Cardinals. Matt Foster, two hitless innings again, and you take him out. I know his plan. I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to do that bullpen approach where he puts a guy in two, puts another guy in two. Yeah, the, what, the, the, opener, the opener bridges to the next. Guess yeah. fucking what? He did that twice. Did it work in both games? It worked neither fucking game. So he's got to stop being a little league manager, get on his players, and you know what? I, I feel like he's the type of manager that gives them orange slices at the end of the fucking game. <laughs> Jesus, he wants to sit around a campfire and, you know, sing the campfire song with these guys. Get on your fucking players or get a new fucking manager. I think he needs to go. There is no reason. And you cannot sit here and try to defend this motherfucker because I am sick of it. And I know, oh, 2005 is in the past. I get it. But if Ozzy wanted to come back, I'm just saying this is a scenario. If Ozzy <laughs> wanted to come back, you're going to tell me you would take Renteria over Ozzy Gian? No. All Hold I'm on. saying I is. <laughs> I got a staff for Renteria right here. One second. Shut up, Brian. <laughs> Rick Renteria's record as a manager, 272 wins, 375 losses. Has he ever made a playoff? No. Has he ever won World Series? No. Why the fuck do we have this guy? It's okay. been three years. Okay, hold on. So you said any motherfucker who defends him. So I'll jump in here and I will defend him <laughs> for this. He has never, ever, ever had a winning fucking team. If you look at the rosters this guy has been gifted in coaching, you will see the reason why this guy has that record. 
he has never been given a winning team. And this was kind of a test. This was a roll of the dice. Are we going to get snake eyes? Or are we going to roll a 12? We have no fucking idea. But either way, we had to give this guy a, ch- a chance with a winning team. He has been absolutely butt-fucked when it comes to every roster he's ever been given. So now he's given a team with a ton of talent that seemed to be a no-brainer as a possible World Series contender over the next five years. I don't know what he's doing with that. I don't know what's not working, but something's fucking broken. He clearly Damn, isn't doing shit thoughts. with this fucking talent that we have. We have great talent on this team. This is one of the best talent I've ever seen the White Sox have on this team. And you need to do something with it. If you're not going to make an expanded playoffs with this talent, we'll see what happens at the end of the year. Right now, I'm pissed because it's a 60-game season. Every game should fucking count. But, it's early. I get the urgency, though. I absolutely yeah, get the urgency. But you need you need to you need to pick it the fuck up. And yes, if he can't make the playoffs at the end of this year with the expand like the expanded playoffs with this talent, I swear to God, if he's back in a White Sox uniform, I will lose my shit. I lose my I lost my shit just now, but it'll be a lot worse than what I just did right now because I do not <laughs> want to see this guy back in that dugout picking his fucking nose, falling asleep every time the camera's on him. I mean, the guy doesn't look like he pays attention to what the fuck's going on. And it's not just him. The hitting coach needs to be held accountable. Don Cooper, I love you, but you're starting to lose your touch. He needs to be held accountable. Uh, Giolito's first inning that game. Oh, my God. He's got some consistency issues that he needs to work out. I still haven't lost faith in Giolito. But, um, yeah, these just some of these hitters, man, they look like they just don't want to be there. And they need to be held accountable. And it goes back to the fucking shitty little league manager that probably gives them orange slices at the end of the game. Good job, guys. Good effort. Shut the fuck up, Rick. <laughs> Mutter, your thoughts. Mutt dog. All right. So this whole McCann, Grandal, Edwin, Abreu thing, why isn't McCann either DHing or playing first when Grandal is catching? That blows my mind. He's hitting 343 in 10 games. 10 games. Most of these guys out here, Mazzara has 10 games played. He's hitting 160. Why is he in the lineup? Why isn't McCann playing? Right? Great batting average. Yeah, like, and I'm sorry. I do not like Abreu in that four spot. I think he is a ground ball machine. I think it's not good for us when you got people like Anderson. Like Anderson and who, who hit the other day? Eloy, right? Was 1-2. Like, why aren't we doing that more often? I mean, we are producing with that. And then the whole angle thing is pissing me off, too. Angle needs to be playing. That's just facts. And I think Foster needs to be in the rotation. Like, just throw him out there for a game. The dude's got 9.2 innings, and he's got a .067 average. Like, I know it's two games – or six games pitched, two starts, but I think he's got to be in there, especially with how we've seen some of these guys out here playing. Maybe try him for more than just two fucking innings. Exactly. That's, I mean, why not let him go four, five, six? They're, I mean, he doesn't what's, – what's the worst thing they're going to do? Lose? Come on. I mean, we've already seen it. Let's go. Start it. There's a lot of venting going on, and I, I get it. Everybody's frustrated. The season is not uh, starting exactly the way we all expected it to. But the one thing that I do and I can say I respect the shit out of Rick for is he's going to stick with his fucking guns. Whether he's right or wrong, he's going to play those guys every day. He, maybe, he maybe manages with his heart too much. He maybe, uh, maybe does a little too much feel uh, work as opposed to you know looking at what these guys are actually producing statistically. Um, but I, I don't think that the lineup 
necessarily every day is the issue. I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot we can blame Rick for, but I think the biggest problem, the keys to success with this team is just not giving easy outs away. You know, I mean, we kick the ball around. There's, there's terrible defense all over the place and our pitching staff hasn't given us a lot of quality starts. So I think those are the two things you got to establish before you can go after a manager. I think there's a lot to say about the actual talent producing as opposed to too many stranded runners as well. Too many stranded. runners. Exactly. There's tons of problems that are happening on the field that uh, don't necessarily have to go straight to the, you know, the manager of the clubhouse. I think there's a lot of stuff that the team needs to uh, self evaluate and kind of come together to fucking make, make a difference. But that kind of leads into my next, um, the feel question of the week. Um, You know, I've seen, the Cubs, I've seen the White Sox, I've seen when they, they're winning and dancing and smiling and having a good fucking time. But I got to ask, when is too much looseness or, or, or like players having fun too much? I'm not asking for guys to be miserable out there. But when you're down by fucking three and you have Eloy Jimenez dancing to a song out in left field, when does that become inappropriate to do? When is it actually appropriate to fuck around? You see guys who aren't fucking around like Luis Robert who are constantly producing on the field every day. He's not a guy going in the dugout and dancing to fucking uh, starships. He's not the one fucking singing Nicki Minaj out in left field. So <laughs> me, when has this become an appropriate thing? When, when is having too much fun or fucking around and not taking it serious? I, you know, this is a, this is a business. This is your job. In a way to me, I don't want, like I said, I don't want everybody to be miserable. It's, more entertaining when these guys have personality, but when does it become too distracting from your on-field play? Brian, you're not going to like my answer a little bit, but, um, you know, I think I look at baseball as more like a, it's not, it's one of the hardest games to play. Hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do in all sports, but it's more of a laid back sport, I would say, because, you know, it's probably 80% standing. There's two people involved on a consistent basis. So, um, and especially in the time that we're in right now, uh, with not a lot on TV, I think it's important that these guys show a little bit of personality. Um, you know, one of the one of the best players we consider, Babe Ruth, he was hammered and out of shape his most of his career, and he's considered the best baseball player ever. So, um, just you know, I think it's good to show that personality, and it's never it's never bad for the game. You know, it's just what baseball is. I think it comes with it, but as a com- from a competitive standpoint, when you're down by three, you know, you should care a little bit. Yeah, um, I'm going to quote Ozzy, winning is fun, fun is winning. You can have fun when you're winning. If you're losing by three and I see you dancing in left field, I'm going to bench your ass. I don't care how good you are. And that, that's unacceptable, especially when he took a nap in the net at left field one time. Um, and I, this is why I like Robert. Robert is very intense. He's very into the game. He's all business. I like players that are all business. It is important to have some, some sort of fun. Like, I like the energy that Tim Anderson brings to the dugout. That's really nice to have. You need to have that energy and that chemistry. But, you know, you also need to be serious about this game. Like, it's not it's not Little League. Like, it's, it's professional sports. You should be serious. There is a time where this uh, fun and cockiness is appropriate. And like what you said, Brian, when you're down by three, when you're down by anything, that's the time where it's inappropriate. You can't – don't be laughing if you're losing the game, especially if you're getting killed. I don't want to see any snickering, but we were always told in college um, that you, you can't you can't chirp when you're ahead if you can't chirp when you're behind. So I know that you can't change your demeanor 
whether you're down by a touchdown or you're fucking up by 12. I get that, but I feel like the killer instinct isn't in all of these people. And I feel like if you don't have that edge to you, you're not going to be competitive. I feel like there's a fine line between fucking around and having fun playing the game that you love. I think there's a fine line between the both. And I think when you're 0 for 4, you know, and you've struck out twice and you've flew out on the infield twice, I don't think that's the time where you go, yeah, now is my time to have fun. Because I'm having – I don't know when you're having that kind of success that you're going to have that much fun. You know what I mean? I think, it, it, I think it's more uh, on a player-to-player basis, and I think it's more on a uh, performance basis. You know, I'm not saying that you, you can be a selfish person, too. I'm not saying when you have two home runs and you guys are still down by seven, you should be fucking doing the Macarena. But I do think that there's – something to be said for having that kind of edge to you that makes you want to be a competitive motherfucker. You want to go out to the field and you're going to take it from whoever tries to fucking win it from you. You are out there for blood. And I don't know if everybody has that instinct. I don't know if that's the instinct you need to have uh, to be a professional baseball player. I never made it, but I know that if I've ever wanted something, I had to want it more than the person that I'm playing. I had to want it more than the person that I, I was against competitively. And I just don't know if that's a, Real appropriate time is when you're down by three. And again, you gave up an inside the park home run because you were in the hammock. (laughs) I mean, if you're talking about how we played baseball, Brian, I think it's got to start with the manager. No, I mean, you remember, you remember our coach. It was, it was all seriousness and he wasn't even that happy when we were winning. It was, we were down by 20 all the time. And I think that here, if Eloy's out there dancing in the outfield, what's he doing in the dugout? He's dancing in the dugout. It's the same, the same concept. We had guys that would go four for four, three home runs, six RBIs. We're down by four, and they're doing the exact same thing. They're living it up. And I think that's right. ridiculous. I think that they that's all the same, need to be yeah. held accountable. And I definitely think that Renteria is doing something wrong. Because in, in D3 baseball land, if you got a coach that upset at you, just imagine what it should be like at a professional level where these guys are getting paid millions of dollars to do these things. He probably compliments Eloy on his moves and gives him a treat after. Exactly. And it's just but, like, <laughs> but I think you guys, I think you guys, I think you guys are all bringing up valid suggestions, points. I get all that, but I think the accountability goes further than Rick. That's what I'm trying to get at. When Dallas Keuchel comes out and says that to you right after a game, that hits home. You know, like that is one of your peers saying, we didn't fucking get it done, and I don't know if we'll ever get it done. You know what I mean? That hits harder than your dad coming up to you and telling you you did a bad job. You know what I mean? 100%, yes. But Renteria's got to do something. I mean, come on. Well, I I think – Trickle down. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I think I, again, I just, it's a weird topic. Glenny, I mean, you've seen the Cubs obviously have their dance competitions on the cameras and stuff before now that they have the bullpen cameras. Um, you know, there's, there's fun things about that, but I mean, when, when is, where's that fine line? When, when is it too much? I'm all for having fun. <clears throat> I think baseball is a fun game. You should be having fun, but when you're down, I mean, you're, you're a professional baseball player. You have to have a competitive side to you to where none of these guys at one point knew how to lose. All of these guys were winners at one point, whether if it was, you know, them putting up personal stats and getting to that next level or being on a championship team where they have, you know, rings to sit there and show for it, titles to show for it at any level. Um, I, 
personally, I love having fun. You, you got to have fun. I like the uh, mutter way you said the coach is all about the coaching. I think it is about the coaching style. I mean, I'm, I don't watch much White Sox baseball because I like to watch professional baseball. But oh, I mean, Re- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Renteria, I mean, Joe, you've obviously very unhappy with him. But I mean, you can't have a soft <laughs> manager like that when you got a guy like Ross, which granted, he doesn't have many games under his belt as a manager, but you know what? He has both those sides. He has the respect of the players that are sitting there looking to him for advice. Hey, what are you doing in this situation? You know, what, what, what making themselves better at one point, And he has that stern, Hey, I'm going to get on you if you're doing something I don't like. And that's the side you have to have. And then the other side you have to have is that fun. Hey, you know what? Let's, let's go have a, a fun day. Let's take batting practice and shoot, you know, you know, uh, swing at, cardboard cutouts you know I mean like you have to have fun there is a that fine line to where it's like hey you know I don't want to see you fucking around if we're down anytime if you're down I don't care if it's one runs three runs ten runs you should not be fucking around all all time you know all seriousness go get your job done these guys are out here to win win, are get wins and win championships and that's what their head should be on and not that this is an excuse by any means but you know when you're in a 162 game season the Tuesday day game doesn't seem like it, it matters nearly as much as it does now, you know, like a 60 game season, each one of these games cost, you know, two. And I think, I think they equivalented it to two and a half or a little bit more than that. Uh, that I mean, that's, that's a big loss. You know what I mean? Losing a double header alone made me want to throw up, but now knowing that that's about five games worth, you know, I mean, that's pretty crazy. Um, well, you I, guys – go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. I think we can't I, – I like – I'm thinking about it Renteria a lot just because we're upset with him. But I think we also have to look at it in this COVID situation is that they don't have fans there. So it's like I get that they're, they know they're 100%. on TV, but the, the idea of not playing for, you know, the 20,000-plus people that show up to baseball games every day is probably – a little bit different for these guys, even the guys that haven't been around the White Sox that often. I know that Moncada went from Boston to Chicago, so another big market to another big market. But, like, this has got to be affecting them in some way. No, no, 100%. And I actually am glad you brought this up because that actually leads into uh, that accountability talk that we were talking – Joey was kind of uh, talking about. But the fact that the fans aren't there, you know, and they're dancing around and doing that stuff, I think that kind of leaves less accountability. I mean, if I, you know, I've seen people chirp guys out in left field, center field, right field, uh, whether they're at third base or first base, wherever you're oh sitting, my. those guys I'm are screaming. Nowadays. Imagine though, imagine though, if you're down by four and you've paid 75 bucks to sit down the third baseline and you're right on top of Eloy and he's sitting there like, Oh my God! Exactly. Left. So that pissed. that would cause some accountability when I scream, "Hey, fucking asshole!" Make a make a play before we're celebrating. How about how exactly. about we catch a ball before we fall into the uh, the hammock? Before again, I'm shitting on Eloy today. I think he's going to be a prolific power hitter. I think he's going to be in the league for a very long time. I think he's going to be one of our favorites by the time he's done. Maybe a guy we hang up his fucking jersey one day and have that number uh, on display. I don't know, but I'm just saying there's got to be a little of accountability. Um, we got to move on, and I I got to ask you guys. You guys have seen the Office episode where Michael is uh, talking about his uh, unfinished book, The Somehow I Manage, right? 
and he yeah. talks about his I think it's an HBO special or it's his book and he says on the cover it says somehow I manage with him shrugging on the front and I feel like I'm Michael Scott with the Blackhawks this year and I'm just like here come the Hawks with like a with a big shrug because <laughs> the Hawks now are down 3-0 and it, I'm wondering is this the end because uh, they're playing from behind way too much there's a lot of missed opportunities and this Las Vegas team is is a great team so I mean where where are we at Glenny I mean Golden Knights who would have thought in 2017 when they became a team that they were going to be as successful as they are I mean first year take it to the Stanley Cup playoff or finals and lose made the playoffs each of the last two years, who knows what's going to be uh, up for them. They've already had, um, what's it called? Um, their, I guess you could call it their way with the Hawks. I mean, being up 3-0, very commanding. I mean, they're, they're just the better team. I mean, number one team coming out of the West this year. I mean, they're just out shooting. They're more physical. Their goaltending is held up. I mean, the Hawks, I mean, putting up 20, you know, low to mid 20s in their shots while Vegas is sitting there uh, pepper in a steak, you know, shooting mid 30 times, you, mid, uh, shots on goal in their mid 30s. I mean, you can't win that way. You're not going to, they're not getting enough pucks on the net, in my opinion, and no pucks on the net, not going to have enough chances to score. And Vegas is ultimately getting the pucks uh, where they need to be, getting the open looks and uh, capitalizing on it. I mean, even a couple of nights ago, Vegas had three power plays, the Hawks had two. And we capitalized on zero of them where Vegas capitalized on two. Um, it, it just seems to me that the, the opportunities are there to make something happen. Even if you're, you know, and I always say this, I equivalent this to all sports, but you can be the worst team on the field and still walk away with a win. You, anything can happen as long as you capitalize on the things that are given to you. And, that, and, and that's, I mean, we just talked about the White Sox for about a fucking hour there, talking about how they don't capitalize on uh, mistakes given to them and they end up giving mistakes away to other people but it seems like the hawks uh aren't playing maybe um i i would say messy hockey i mean we're, we're they're playing clean games but they're just not you know executing on those little mistakes that vegas is giving them well the hawks weren't expected to be there that's the that's the thing a lot of people didn't expect them to be there i think the experience in the playoffs gave them the advantage over edmonton and it was a pleasant surprise that they won that series, which is huge. But um, when you see them down 3-0 against a team like Vegas, I mean, it's kind of expected. You're not like uh, you're not saying going into it, all oh, the Hawks should kill these guys. Um, and, and I've been watching these games, and it's not like the Hawks are playing extremely bad. It's just these guys, these Vegas guys, are great. They're very good. They just right now they got more talent. They, I mean, and it shows. And the fact that the Hawks are there and advanced from the first round is impressive to me. So, I mean, they're yeah, a young team. On that. I was I was just going to comment that nobody expected them to make it this far anyway. That they just kind of you know came out surprising. So, um, I mean, I don't know. It's it's still open. We'll see. We'll see what happens with them. You know, Connor McDavid is having a blast watching these. You know, after after getting you know swept. You know where he's at though, Brian. He's he's sitting on his couch. Yeah, no, I know. He, <laughs> you know, I, 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 great... granted, as a fan, I wasn't sitting there expecting to come in and sweep Vegas. Did I For think sure. it was going to go six, seven games? I was hoping as a fan, I'd love to see that. I mean, it, it's fun to watch these young guys go out with these uh, core guys that we've had, you know, 
for years now, 10 plus years now, and you sit there and they're playing good hockey, but they are getting outplayed. I mean, Crawford, I mean, he's, he's looked pretty damn good. I mean, it, leadership from a guy like Crawford, who's been very lackluster and up and down so much these last few years is, Oh, is Corey ever going to come back? Is he, you know, is he going to show up? Is he going to be in the starting? Is he going to be a late scratch? I mean, it's just, I'm excited to see, I mean, granted, I mean, they come and win four, four in a row here. I mean, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to lose my shit. That uh, city's going to start back up on fire again with (laughs) back to the second round. But I mean, I, I'm looking towards next year. You you have, uh, you you got your court. You got to go and get some defensive players. You have to start building that D, uh, uh, D lines up. And right now you have an old aging Keith. You have a very AC Brook. You got some young guys in Dahan, Cuckoo. I mean, um, O'Donnell. I mean, they're looking pretty good. But you still need to sit there and go get that number one line uh, on the defensive side on that backside, do you go out and get another goalie? I think it would be smart to sit there and start looking elsewhere for a goalie because I don't know how much uh, gas in the tank Crawford really has left. Yeah. It's, it's a team that uh, I, again, we were talking a little bit before the show about greed. Uh, It seems like every time a team in Chicago gets some, a a ball rolling, uh, a team starts being successful. For instance, the Cubs in 2015, obviously roll Chris Bryant out there and he's the best player in the league. Probably, probably at least in the national league that year uh, is the slam dunk candidate for rookie of the year. They make it all the, uh, to the championship series, obviously lose to the Mets. And uh, the following year they come back and win a world series. You have, uh, the rookie debuts of uh, Wilson Contreras, who obviously has turned into a star. Uh, you have Baez start, you know, consistently hitting uh, and making the the crazy uh, athletic plays that he he seems to make almost every game. It just seems like Cub fans obviously got greedy then, and we're like, well, you know, we should be winning every year. I mean, we should be 162 and 0 every year. You know, like, that's the kind of mentality you start having once you start seeing uh, um, success after success, or uh, as talents definitely rise you know. for sure. Right, exactly. So for the the Hawks, it seems like it's a hard pill to swallow. This team, uh, you know, obviously this is their first playoff appearance in a long time. Well, you know, relatively long time. Um, and the last, the last time they were in it, obviously you get swept by Nashville and that was a, a terrible, uh, feeling to, to kind of fight off. And now it seems like you're kind of running through the same, uh, feeling now it's being down three Oh to, uh, Vegas. So I just feel like as a, as a city, sometimes we get a little greedy with, uh, the amount of talent that truly does reside in the city. And sometimes, uh, we don't realize that there's. Uh, an, enough of a problem until it really comes to your front door and bites in the ass. And I think there's a lot of things they have to look uh, as far as the front office goes, as far as actual players go, and uh, where or whether uh, Colleton's a real, the real guy for the job uh, coaching this team. So there's a lot to think about. Uh, again, we got to move on, though. We're going to football. Bears have now reported to training camp. Hope is in the air. Hope is in the air. Bear down, Trubisky or Foles is the question today. And I know, Joey, you wanted to start this segment.
Okay. Um, well, a lot of people out there probably think I dislike Trubisky. That's not true. It's not that I dislike the guy. To be honest, I think he's an average quarterback. I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he's great. The problem is, and it's not his fault, the problem is we traded our third overall pick to get move one spot up. This is the – I have a big problem with Ryan. Oh. Big problem with Ryan Pace. And, uh, but you move one spot and you trade those picks to move one spot. And we have a top three draft already to get a guy from North Carolina who started 12 games over a guy who went to national championship twice and won with Clemson and Deshaun Watson over a guy who broke a bunch of college records in, uh, in uh, Patrick Mahomes. And the thing is, I, when they first picked Mitch, I wasn't upset with the pick. I was upset with the trade. You could have gotten Mitch at third overall. And if he wasn't available at third overall, if you're worried he was going to get picked by, or someone's going to trade up to get him in the number two spot, you can just get Watson or Mahomes. It's like I, I didn't get that. And then the second round getting Shaheen was uh, out this for another day. That was fucked up. But um, the, that, that just gives Mitch all this unnecessary hype that he's drafted so high, so he's expected to play like an elite caliber quarterback. And he has his games where he looks like that. Like the, the game against Dallas last year, he had a fantastic game. That game against the Bucks two years ago where he had, I think, six touchdown passes, that was a fantastic game for him. But then he also has a game's where he holds on to the ball way too long and takes a sack and loses about 10 yards when you're on a drive, which kills a drive. And, um, you know, he telegraphs a lot of his passes. He locks in on one receiver too much. He's, he has a hard time reading defenses sometimes, but he does have those games where he's really good. But the fact that he was drafted that high, you expect it every game. And again, not his fault. They gave him all this over, over heightness, but the fact that he's not performing up to that is a downer. And when you want the guy to be elite, the truth of the matter, the fact is he's average. He's an average quarterback. I think he's very good with his feet. Um, he could keep plays alive like that. I didn't see that enough last year as I did two years ago. I think he did a lot better with that two years ago. Um, and in terms of Nick Foles, I will compare that Nick Foles has a ring. He's been in the playoffs with the Eagles a couple times. He beat the Bears at that shitty Cody Park. Uh, Cody Parkey. Um, but, you know, I think Carson Wentz is overrated personally. I don't know what you guys think about Carson Wentz. I always thought Foles was better than Carson Wentz because every time they put Foles in, they made the playoffs and they do good in the playoffs. I haven't seen Wentz do that That's well. A stretch. That's a stretch for me. On the, I haven't seen Wentz do that well in the playoffs. Wentz, but. I'm a guy that likes results. I don't like hype. I like a guy that likes results. And to me, Foles get, has been getting results since he's played. Um, and Trubisky – made the playoffs one year, but lost in the first round. I haven't seen results from Trubisky. I think Trubisky excels in a certain part of the game more than Foles does in terms of running. But in the NFL, you have to be a pocket passer. You just have to be. I mean, you can't look to run first. Those quarterbacks don't last. If you run and, and you run well, but you have to run when you have to, that's a great thing to have, and that's what Mitch has. But Mitch has to learn to, the, to get that pr- – presence in the pocket to be confident and I think he does start the first couple games this year and we'll see and if he does great that's a win if he does bad and they put Foles in and Foles does great that's another win but right now if I were to choose the between the two based on results because I love results and experience I'd give it to Nick but it's close because I think Nick has trouble running with the ball like I think 
our offensive line has some issues. And But, yeah, I'd go with Nick. And, again, guys, I don't hate Mitch. I just think with the expectation he has, he needs to, he needs to play a little better, and you can't deny it. I think Joey explained it really well. I mean, um, I'm just going to get into being a quarterback. I know of some things. I don't nearly know what it's like to be at the NFL level, but I know that, you know, when things go to shit, it's your fault. And when things go good, you get all the praise. And I think that's kind of what, you know, Mitch Trubisky was going through a little bit last year. Uh, you know, people give him a lot of shit and it really, it really wasn't just him. I mean, uh, we got to put people around him to make them better too. I mean, if you go, you want to look at quarterbacks, you want to look at people that are, you know, look at Dak Prescott, all the money he wants. I could play on the Cowboys right now and do good. He's got Ezekiel Elliott behind him, a top five offensive line in the NFL. He's got Amari Cooper, Jason Witten, command of the locker room. Uh, I'm pretty sure they had Randall Cobb last year too. I mean, their offense is loaded and they just drafted, uh, they drafted a receiver, I think too. Uh, was it with Jerry Judy or no? No, Jerry Judy went to Denver. Uh, I think they drafted a receiver. Anyway, you, you you get my point. That offense is absolutely loaded, and they have a good kicker. They uh, they selected C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb. Lamb. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, that guy. That guy's another, another fucking stud. stud. Yeah. Another stud. So I mean, if you want Dak Prescott, I mean, shit. I don't think he'd be having the career he has in Dallas if he was on the Chicago Bears. Um, to lead off of that, uh, talking about comfort in the pocket and you got to be a pocket passer. I mean, also knowing this as a quarterback, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of trust you put into five guys in front of you. And, you know, when they're giving up pass rushes and, uh, they're forcing you to get the ball out in two seconds. I mean, it's really hard to look down the field and go through your reads when, you know, there's guys screaming at you and you don't trust them. It is hard, Kev. I, I agree, and I think that the offensive line and the defensive line are the most important positions in football. Absolutely, and I don't think it's any secret because if you look, I mean, he's been commented on it before. If you look, he's like 10 times better when he throws on the run. Okay, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about him. the offensive line then because if we're going to get into that, we got to talk about the Bears' offensive line, and obviously they've had issues plaguing them for the last I, – I, I don't even know how long it's been since we've had – offensive line issues probably since 2006 2007 around those years after the Super Bowl when we started dismantling the original offensive line we've had some kind of issue at at all points so we now have a new offensive line coach who's had uh, a lot of success with the Eagles Ravens and Bills and Juan Castillo um, they keep telling us Ryan Pace as well as upper management keeps telling us that they have complete and utter faith in the people they've drafted. And there's no doubt in their mind that that offensive line core is going to continue to stay together. And oh, keep honk of but then, but then we went out and signed uh, a, a Fetty and Jason Spriggs and we drafted a guy in the seventh round. So obviously there's not a super big level of commitment to this offensive line. We oh, are now hmm. looking at changes possibly happening in 2020. You and I, like, I, I do want to make this clear that it's not the interior that I don't like. You know, we have Jason Spriggs and Cody Whitehair. Cody Whitehair is a dog. But uh, you, the edges are just fucked. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, it says here, I was looking, I was looking at it the other day, um, Leno only gave, only gave up like three sacks or something in the entire season last year. But that's not accounting for like uh, rushing the passer out of, you know, forced throwaways and throwing under duress and all these things you don't there's not like how many times have you watched a bears game and you've seen like a four second pocket 
and they're not they're not talking about his penalties too. Let led the league in penalties last year, I believe. Him and uh, Bulls Bulls from uh, uh, Denver. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I agree with you, Kevin. That interior lineman, I I think James Daniels is fantastic. I think Cody Whitehair is our best lineman. Um, we have a right guard issue because Kyle Long was hurt all the time, was never on the field, and now he's retired. And I think they're going to fill – it looks like they're going to fill Effetti in that void, and I've seen Effetti perform in Seattle. And he's he's a decent lineman. We'll see what happens. But um, the tackle spots are an issue, and that's what you can't have at the issue, especially at the left side because Mitch is a right-handed quarterback, so his blind side will be that left tackle spot. And if that left tackle isn't performing – Mitch will get hurt, and it will, it's, it's not a good look for the team. And I think Leno did have that one good year where he made the Pro Bowl, but other than that, he's made a lot of mistakes, and I think he does let a lot of rushes get through to him. Um, and Bobby Matthews, I think Bobby Matthews is not awful. Glenny, um, Mutt, let's hear, your, let's hear your opinions on this. Glenny, Mutt, let's, let's hear your opinions on this. Mutt, Mutt what, I mean, what, what are you thinking right now with Bears football, Trubisky, Foles? What's, what's your takes? Well, I think that uh, NBC Sports said it best when they were talking about right after when Foles was picked up. They said uh, Foles' ceiling may be lower than Trubisky's, but his floor is much higher. So I think just going off of what Joey and Kevin have said so far, I think Foles needs to be the guy coming out of it. But I think that for the long haul, Mitch will probably be you know the starting quarterback. I just think he needs a little more time. And with everything that's going on with Rona, I think that training camp will be able to see maybe a bit more of what they're planning on doing. Uh, but Really, I mean, other than that, I don't have any particular statements about the offensive line. We've always had some struggle there. Um, I think we need to have a solid running back moving forward. We've been missing that ever since uh, Forte. So, other than that, I'm not going to say I'm excited for football with the Bears, but I mean, we'll see how it goes. Glenny, your thoughts? Well, I just think it needs to be a quarterback competition. I mean, these guys need to go out and earn their time, whether it's Foles, whether it's Mitchie Bitch. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to see wins coming out of the Bears. I want to see results, Glenny. That's all I want to see. Yes. I, I want to see dubs. I want to see a playoff appearance. Will they get that far this year? Let's hope so. You know what? I think that would be great for the city. Will it be that far? You know what? Only time will tell. Time will tell if we even have a, a season at this point, which I'm really hoping for because right. everybody needs football in their lives. I was just going to say that too. This is all pending uh, that they can actually have a football season safely uh, with the regulations. However, they're going to do it. I hope it gets done. Uh, but we not only is professional football pending uh, a Corona uh, virus, but also our own fancy football league. Uh, is pending coronavirus and football actually taking place. Uh, the group of guys here, as well as a few closer friends to the podcast, are going to be taking part in our own fantasy football league in which we will be updating you guys on scores and stats weekly based off of our own fantasy football teams. We may even have a draft uh, special, I think is what I'm hearing. Uh, maybe on a, uh, one of these podcasts we'll have to have a live drafting session. Live draft would be a lot of fun. Yes, it a little would. shit talking either way. I mean, either way, it's great. Great things to talk about. Excited for the league. Excited to sit there and take your guys' money. Easy money is great money. Oh, my God. I always <laughs> love a good donation, boys. Good I one. Mean, it's it's talking to a two-time champ right here. So, I don't oh, know. I, I, went, I went two every year, Joey. Let's get it going, kid. <laughs> Brian drafts a quarterback in the first round. 
No, no, no. I'm definitely <laughs> drafting. I told you, Orlando Pace and uh, <laughs> Anthony Munoz in the first round. I'm getting two tackles. I want my quarterback to be protected. I can take Mitch with those two tackles. I mean, he's going to be fine. So my team's looking up. Um, speaking of teams and uh, speaking of football, speaking of looking up, we got to talk about our test tube quarterbacks. So we are doing a different segment. Instead of a top 10 or a top three or any kind of listing, we're doing a little something different. We are taking our professional football knowledge to the science. We're taking it to the scientific portion of our brains, and we're going to create a test tube baby who is going to become the greatest quarterback of all time, in our own opinions. So we have, chose, uh, we have chosen different attributes from different professional football players in the history of the sport to give to one player. We have accuracy. Speed, awareness, and swagger rounding off the top four, I believe. And strength, I believe, right? Arm strength, strength too. Arm strength. Sorry, I missed five. one. Five. Again, gauntlet might have had five or six stones. We don't know. Um, <laughs> but we're going to go through each one of our attributes, naming our player that we'd like to give their attributes to our test tube baby in order to make the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, Kevin, you want to start this? I'll Give start us a few it. reasons for each of your picks as well. I got a uh, little dream QB action here. I got uh, – can you hear me like this? Yes, sir. All right, sweet. My arm strength, I got Josh Allen. And if you don't know the guy in Buffalo, the buddy absolutely slings it. He's got a cannon. I he like threw, him. Best arm, if you've seen him at the combine, he threw like 80 yards off his back foot. It's just – He's like a mixture of Brett Favre and Ben Roethlisberger, kind of. The dude's just up-and-coming stud. Yes, I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan. Uh, Accuracy, I'm going to go with Drew Brees. A man that doesn't get enough credit, I feel, for his Hall of Fame career just because of all the other great players in there. But, you know, this guy is just – this guy's every throw is on the money, and he knows where he's going with it before the ball's even snapped. Uh, So I'm going to go with accuracy with Drew Brees. Speed, I mean, if this is even a question, Lamar Jackson. I mean, the guy's a, the guy's a stud. Wow. Uh, oh, it's, I know it's on you guys. Are pick. Yeah, there's there's a person that I, I can think of. Most dynamic that. quarterback of all time. Keep going, yeah. Kev. Uh, yeah, I'll go with Lamar, though. you got to have a different list. You know, a little bit of diversity. Awareness, I mean, if this guy wasn't didn't have the best awareness, he probably would have died 10 years ago. Tom Brady, still playing at 43 years old. If this guy wasn't, if this guy didn't have his mind right, I mean, there's he wouldn't be playing at 38, let alone 43. So, uh, he's he's definitely the best to ever do it. Smartest football player ever, in my opinion. Uh, and then swagger. I'm gonna go with my boy Joe Burrow. <laughs> even, I I like that either. fucking pick. I like it though. No, nobody. I, I, I figured it'd be a little original. I don't know. But, dude, I, I don't know. This guy has just done so much savage shit. I mean, his his Instagram and Twitter is, like, fucking hilarious. And like, jo- like Joe Burrow sitting on the couch with a stogie? Like that kind of <laughs> Joe Burrow? I can yeah. fucking get behind I'm that. glad you just didn't say Johnny Manziel. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, we'll say that for mine. Shit. This guy threw a 40-yard touchdown pass in a game and didn't watch it go into the receiver's arms and walked off the field. If one of you guys say Johnny Manziel, I'm going to walk out of this podcast. (laughs) I'll go last then. (laughs) (laughs) 
No way. All right, Mutter, give us your picks. Okay, well, I, I'm Kevin and I have a pretty similar approach to this. Um, let me pull it back up here. I liked the uh, – we're going to start with my favorite one, which was the awareness one, because I in, instantly thought of Tom Brady and the vision he's got going on, along with those short and quick passes down the field to just literally walk over check down, opponents. Check down, check down, check down, yeah, check down. Yeah, it's that's, – that's crazy to me that – that is even a factor of discussion for that. Uh, arm strength, I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes. I just think that that guy slings it every, all which ways, whatever. I think I read somewhere that uh, prior to uh, deciding he wanted to play football, he was throwing upper or mid to upper 90s. with the Yeah. yeah. Dad, daddy was a pretty fucking good baseball player. Yeah, so I, I got to give it there. Um, accuracy, I also went with Drew Brees. I just can't, can't knock him on that just for how everything's been for him. Obviously, speed. Lamar Jackson, I think, is a yeah. <laughs> pick all around for here. Uh, and then Swagger, I I went, you know, a Browns route. Not Johnny Manziel, but I went Baker Mayfield. I Baker oh Mayfield. Oh, that was to be in there. No, I was, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, love, I love Baker. I love him out there. I think Baker. that. Baker fucked me in fantasy last year in two leagues. Let's go. <laughs> sophomore slump. I love Baker. All right, Glenny, give us your picks. Sorry, Dan. No, you're good. You want to wrap up? Did I cut you off too soon? I was going to pick – I was going to go with – who's the Jags guy, the quarterback? Oh, uh, I was going to quote that thing he said about Rona. Oh, no. Garner Minshew? Garner Minshew because Uh, they had a – I guess he got – he was tested positive for coronavirus or something, and instead there was a funny meme about it saying that coronavirus ended up running away scared from him, something like that. I was going to R- go with run that. away from that mustache. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's what I was going to go with, but I chose Baker. Glenny, your picks. Woohoo. All right. So, uh, I'm going to start with arm strength and it's going to be the biggest bust in my opinion in NFL history. I'm going to go with Jamarcus Russell. Whoa. I mean, any anybody that saw these guys throwing ability I mean, dude was throwing 70 yards off his fucking knees, for Christ's sake. I mean, yeah, that's ridiculous. he never lived up to any anything that anyone thought that he was going to be. Not one I mean, expectation. Number one, no, not one. It's probably is as many wins as he had in a Raiders fucking uniform. But, I mean, number one overall pick. Everyone blew him from LSU. Huge arm, huge arm. My opinion, the biggest bust in NFL history. Uh, but arm strength go to Jamarcus Russell. Accuracy, there's no one other than Drew Brees. My personal goat of all time. Everyone blows Brady and everything. I love Drew Brees. I mean, the, dude, it's I, over 67% uh, percent completion um, percentage over his career. Over 77,000 uh, passing yards, which is number one all time. And has the most touchdowns at 547 uh, passing uh, touchdowns which is also number one of all time and has a career passer rating of 98.4. Uh, I mean, who else would you want in uh, – who else would you want as your best quarterback accuracy guy than Drew Brees? Everyone else has already touched on that. Speed, you guys uh, – Kevin, Lowell Mutter, I, I mean, you, you, guys are, you guys are showing a little age. I when know I think fun. of speed, I think of Michael Vick. Michael Vick. I mean, Michael fucking Vick. The, the most fun quarterback to watch. I remember as much as I couldn't stand him because he wasn't in a Bears uniform, he was the most fun to watch it when I was growing up. I mean, 
in my opinion, the most dynamic quarterback of all time. The arm strength, his legs, his agility, his speed. There, nobody, no, no defense could sit there and uh, live up and sit there and stop this man. Um, over four, uh, 4,800 um, rushing yards, which, I mean, Lamar, Lamar Jackson, Jackson just might. broke that. Lamar Did Jackson really? broke that last year. Oh, Jesus. Well, oh, yeah. Well, he, he, well, obviously number two now, but I don't think anyone's got to sit there and touch that. <laughs> But averaging over seven yards a carry, I mean, Mike Vick is the predominant uh, quarterback, which you could sit there and has that dual threat with his arm and his uh, legs. And my awareness and swagger, I'm kind of putting it into uh, one. Uh, I don't like swagger. You got to be all business out there. You're you're the quarterback. You're leading this team to victory. You're the man in the huddle that is calling the plays. And I'm going to put that in one person. And you got to talk about Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. I mean, you, the guys, the way they, they sit there and read these defenses, the way they could call uh, plays on the line, I mean, it's fun to watch. I've been watching them for years and years now. And you talk about GOAT comparison. I mean, you talk about Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and you got Drew Brees, which is one of the most underrated quarterbacks of this time. Joey, your picks. All right, I'm going to save arm strength and swagger for last because those are my two guys right <laughs> there. Um, so accuracy, I'm going to go with Drew Brees. I don't think there's anyone else you could put there. I, I was going to say maybe Tom Brady because he does have good accuracy, but I'll go Drew Brees. Um, I think Drew Brees is actually very underrated because I hear people around the world talk about, oh, if I were have – a dream Super Bowl. I'd like to see Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Like, no, Breeze is better than Rodgers, and I will defend it to this day. Uh, more accurate, better better quarterback rating, as Glennie said. That quarterback rating is off the charts. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with my man, Drew Breeze, at uh, accuracy. Awareness, Glennie touched on that as well. I'm going to say Peyton Manning. I don't think there's any, any quarterback smarter than Peyton Manning. Um, you know, he did so many audibles in the uh, off the line, just like he would see a defense and know exactly what to change it to. Like that guy was a genius. His game yeah. preparation was unbelievable. Yeah. He's I, I mean, would on top love, of anybody else. Oh, yeah. And I would love to see him as an offensive coordinator or head coach if he ever decides to do that. I think he'd be great. Um, and then uh, speed. I was torn between Vic and Jackson, but I'm going to have to go with Jackson. Um, yeah. And this is this was a guy that I didn't think would be good in the NFL, to be honest. Oh, I'll be, but, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and he Both impressed guys. the hell out of me. And he's that guy is un- unbelievably athletic. I mean, he he had that dual threat of throwing and and rushing last year. That was I was nervous about his uh, passing ability, but his exactly. speed is off the charts. Um, so I'm going to say these two are saving for last. I'll start with arm strength. I'm going to go with my boy Jay Cuddy. That guy <laughs> threw a mile, and you guys did not deny it. Talk about someone who didn't have an offensive Cuddy don't line. Care. <laughs> You guys they they did say have- he used to, like, break fingers of guys when he was throwing in practice and shit like that. People didn't like catching balls from him because they were so heavy. Kevin, we were talking about guys who didn't have an offensive line. That guy oh, never God. had an offensive line. Go look at his highlights. He's like Jamarcus hey, Webb. Just Jamarcus Webb. That's all I got to say <laughs> was his left tackle. Um, so, yeah, Jake Cuddy, that guy can throw 80 yards in his fucking sleep. I have a whole new respect for Jay Cutler. I love Jay. And I'm going to say swagger like Lenny. I don't like the word swagger, um, so I'm going to replace it with confidence. And I'm going to say my favorite player of all time, Donovan McNabb, 
has like that's <laughs> fucking swag. Are you shitting me? Swag. Donovan McDavid. That's a great pick for that, but yeah, that's not a guy that was all business. He had fucking swag. That, well, I'm saying like confidence and shit. Like he had a ton of yes. confidence in the team Tons. himself. I love McNabb. He's my favorite player of all time, and you guys can quote me on that. Any yes, for <laughs> sure. Anybody that brings their mom out to the field as much as Donovan McNabb needs to have fucking some, you know, some Campbell's chicken noodle possibility. possibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not an ad for Campbell's chicken noodle soup. Um, I'll, I'll end this conversation with my picks, but I have a feeling I'm going to upset everybody with my last one. Uh, I have one person on here that I never personally saw play in my years of living, um, which ends up being my first one in arm strength. I picked Dan Marino, uh, one of the best players ever not to win a Super Bowl and had one of the strongest arms in the history of uh, professional football. Uh, accuracy, it's a no-brainer. We all, I think we all had it, right? We all had Drew Brees across the board. That's yeah. crazy. I, was I mean, that. for 18 years, 18 years in the game, he has the highest completion rating in the history of professional football. Who would have thought a quarterback from Purdue? No, right? I mean, <laughs> Especially under six foot. <laughs> yeah. Everyone gave him shit yeah. about his height. Just yeah. like Russell Wilson, and look what he's doing over in Seattle. Yeah, I just, matter. I wanted to highlight this. I know that Breeze has had a lot of uh, great receivers, but I looked at some of the receiving cores, and I think you guys would be surprised with some of the names um, that that really weren't very good. Um, you know, we, we've got guys like Joe Horn, uh, if you remember him, not not very not really known for his uh, on field performance. Uh, he you know threw four touchdowns to him in two thousand six. Uh, Jared Cook, uh, David Boston. Billy Miller. I mean, these are not top tier names, you know what I mean? And, you know, of course he's had the uh, Jimmy Grahams, uh, the, the Mar- Marcus Colstons. He's had great names. Anto- Antonio Gates when he was in San Diego. I mean, there's some great receivers that he's thrown to, but I just don't think that he's had nearly as many uh, uh, game changers as some of these quarterbacks that are even in that top 10 in the completion uh in uh, the accuracy percentages. So I, I just think that when you get a completion rating like that with some of the names that he's had over the years, it means you're pretty great at doing what you do, and that's finding a window and getting the ball into somebody's hands. Uh, for speed, I have – I mean, I, it was obvious to me. I have no fucking idea what you guys were thinking about. Michael Vick, the most, uh, the most explosive quarterback. Shows their age. The most explosive quarterback in the history. I saw him when he was in Philly. <laughs> oh my God! The, the the years after jail weren't nearly as good as when he was. No, in they're n- not nearly as fun. He's the greatest running quarterback of all time. There's no, there's no telling me any different. I don't understand where that, uh, you know, even gets blurry. But uh, he's like a cheat code in video games. That's what he fucking was when he was in Atlanta. And he couldn't well throw before. the ball, and he had a, he had a great arm too for a guy, you know, a left handed quarterback that could find. I mean, there's just – I don't know how, what he's you guys are thinking. It, he's a, he, great he, speed. Great yeah. speed. Awareness, I have Tom Brady like the rest of you. I mean, he's the GOAT quarterback. He makes plays that other guys don't, and he constantly finds people. And I, I, the check down routes are, are unbelievable. He picks apart defenses left and right. It doesn't matter who you are, what you have. It's, it's kind of amazing how long he's been able to do that. Um, and my swagger. So here, you know. Here comes the triggering uh, moment for you guys. <laughs> I have I have the one, the only, 
Yeah. Johnny, money Manziel. <laughs> for sure. That motherfucker. <laughs> that, I mean, can, can I drink probably the rest of the league? Money, <laughs> money, money. Vi- Visor Manziel was the Manziel I wanted to get behind. Dark fucking visor in Cleveland. Can't see shit. That's the man's all I want to be. The man disgusted me. Baller with a fucking attitude. Never lived up to the hype. But that kind of confidence, false confidence, may it be, that's the kind of confidence I want in my fucking test tube baby. That's kind of shit. The opposing team Dude's still living it up, too. Maybe yeah, I mean, he fucks strip, fuck strippers and drinks till he passes out. I mean, he's living his oh, that's best moxie. life. That's moxie. <laughs> that's the intangibles right there that's what you want no but uh, like in all reality um i just think it'd be really funny to see a great quarterback actually have that attitude it doesn't seem like it happens very often where you get kind of the uh the ricky hendersons or the guys that have like the you know the alt um you know they have the ultimate confidence but they also have uh the, the intangibles on the field it doesn't happen all the time uh, so I thought it would be funny to see a guy like Johnny Manziel with the type of shit that he tried to pull when he was both in college and in the professional football league. Uh, Canadian league. Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's, oh, he's at the trifecta. He's, you know, this I, arena I, football if they were still around. Is that even I'm waiting. Around? No, arena football is gone. <laughs> but what I'm waiting for, because The Rock just bought the XFL, I oh, want to see go. Manziel sign up for one of these XFL teams and bring Money Manziel back to – professional sports in a way Hopefully, if it's not the same regulations as vince mcmahon had as had as uh, all of his players that cannot be on rosters if they have done <laughs> and i think manzel's hit all of them and he could add a couple categories to that 100 percent. no he's uh he's a special breed and so is vince mcmahon uh, <laughs> but, but the xfl uh i, I think is going to have uh, uh, a few years here where we're going to really enjoy watching football i think uh the rock is a great uh marketing person and i think he's gonna really do a great job with that but that's off the topic we gotta move on and we're getting into our last segment of the day the day in the history of sports which i know is a reoccurring segment for everybody listening and and we will continue doing it and if you guys continue to like this segment let us know down in the comments and uh subscribe to us uh but our day in the history of sports today is august the 16th correct me if i'm wrong boys it's today, August 16th? Yes. Yes, sir. August 16th. In 1954, the first Sports Illustrated magazine was issued. 25 fucking cents. The scene on the cover of the, uh, of the Illustrated was Milwaukee County Stadium, Eddie Matthews swinging with West Western catching and Augie Donatelli um, umpiring, who I don't know who the fuck that is, but apparently he's somebody. Uh, maybe I'm uncultured and I'm supposed to know, but Eddie Matthews, obviously a great uh, uh, Milwaukee Brave, uh, a, a Hall of Fame third baseman, um, great player. And to me, it just, you know, we've seen Sports Illustrated our entire lives and kind of thinking that it only started in 1954 is a little surreal to me because it feels like it's something that's been a staple for our forever and it really hasn't it really is relatively if you consider the 50s to be uh you know somewhat newer you know i mean it's a it's a thing that was invented and kind of pushed out there obviously i i'm sure as most of you do i own many sports illustrated books it's the greatest publication dedicated to sports and in, in any kind of media fashion and uh obviously yeah, the swimsuit edition which is fucking the best awesome. one. <laughs> the best and uh 
in the right in the writing uh in sports illustrated has always been uh just absolutely uh fantastic i I, there's no other way to put it i mean they've never really had a subpar article and even something that i can disagree with is always well written um your thoughts on those (laughs) that guys i think this one was really interesting Uh, i like this topic it's, uh, well, one thing that was interesting about the first issue Sports Illustrated was that there was no story done on the cover. You know, usually there's something behind it, but right. they, it, was just, it was just a picture. But yet, still an iconic image. <clears throat> and um, that photographer is just c- capturing a moment. But it's funny, like, so many years later, when you think of, like, vintage, iconic baseball, you probably imagine in some way, shape, or form that very image. So um, I thought it was just a, it's a, it's a really cool thing. Uh, and it's it's so cool to look back at it after so many years later. Yeah, Sports Illustrated has definitely been great for everybody in, in the in uh, sports to read. Uh, had a lot of good information on there. I always looked forward to February because it was my birthday month, and the swimsuit issue came out. So happy birthday to me! <laughs> um, my my personal favorite was Kate Upton on the cover. Uh, I'm not sure what year that was, but I love Kate Upton, and I want to marry her. Verlander, I have a know. poster. I have the poster. It's in my room. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, Sports Illustrated is fantastic. My old man actually used to collect Sports Illustrated, like, every year since the 70s. Um, and I think he recently just got rid of all of them. But he kept all the Chicago-covered ones. And uh, there's some good stuff on there. A lot of Michael Jordan-covered ones, White Sox World Series. Uh, there's, like, a Sammy Sosa one. Uh, there's, there, there's a, like, so many legendary covers that a lot of people want to save. Um, and like you said, Brian, the stories they have there are fantastic as well. Um, so it's a good read, um, good action shots, and uh, lovely, lovely swimsuit issue uh, photos. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the, my birthday being in February too, Joe, I mean, I always love this uh, swimsuit edition. It's always fun. I mean, even as a kid, they had Sports Illustrated for kids. I mean, you, you had the the little kids and then you had the adults sitting there reading in both i've gone from sports illustrated for kids to sports illustrated loved actually reading it was the only thing i think magazine i've ever actually read you know i mean uh it kevin and joe uh touched on it a little bit um they uh uh mj uh most featured uh cover athlete on sports illustrated of all time and uh picture was taken months prior i mean they was taken what three months prior to the actual uh yeah release of the uh cover photo which you know you never really knew what was going on but that picture has been around as long as i can remember baseball and it's so iconic in a sense and to now know that you know who was on the cover eddie matthews me being somebody that plays the show a ton i know he's a staple on my third base between his batting and fielding abilities uh, but just Sports Illustrated in general is just something so great that we've all grew up on, all of us, even through, I mean, through actual magazines being put out. I mean, recently, you know, that's kind of lost art, if you could say, is magazines and everything's so online now. The the adaption for it, you know, uh, just something cool to watch. I always loved Sports Illustrated as a kid. I hope they keep going. It's some great reads in there. Dan, your thoughts? Uh, as the third person with a February birthday, I would have to agree with both of you. And uh, two six. Yeah, right. Yeah, two. Uh, lit, me, that's me. Two six. I'm Are two seven. Twenty six is my birthday. That's oh that's no, awesome. I'm t- oh no, I'm at February sixth. 
I'm oh, February oh, 6th. Oh, I thought you meant two oh. six like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, not as much of a But hey, me and Joey are close, so let's ride. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm February 27th. I thought he meant oh, two fifteen. Oh my! Yeah, you're pretty back to back all of our lives. Holy now. shit! <laughs> um, but I I like Sports Illustrated. I think it's cool that they did a baseball cover for the first thing that happened. And uh, Augie Donatelli is was highly regarded for his ability, but he was also known for his inclination to eject players and managers quickly and dramatically. I knew there was something to him. I just so, didn't yeah. know him personally. I think it would have been great to have him on the on TV instead of people like Angel Hernandez, but that's for another day. Oh, Angel Hernandez can suck. Joe West. <laughs> or Joe West. Oh, my goodness. No, Joe, Joe West. Jo- you know what? Joe West is growing on me. Motherfucker. Joe West, here's the thing, though. The thing that before I, I kind of wrap up our sports illustration, I got to say this about Joe West. Nothing was fucking more gangster than when he took that line drive off the gut and like it he looked at the ball like he had heard the ball <laughs> it's still stuck so, inside his belly no he he just oh. he just like he absorbed it and then let it go um uh, he he has grown on me though joe west uh is kind of a character i mean he's he's obviously a guy that's gonna want to be the show which is exactly what you don't want if your team's playing but uh to the same extent joe, uh, joe west has kind of grown on me uh i have oh. to talk about I have to talk about, say, how about Strasburg other... getting tossed the other uh, the other day. <laughs> oh God! Did you guys see that video from 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 the from the stands? from the stands. Oh my God! Just all you hear during broadcast is you're fucking brutal. And next you're thing you know, brutal. he's walking up, sitting <laughs> yeah. there smiling, giving thumbs up to the the everybody on the bench, and that's talking like, "Hey, you know, I told you I was going to get knocked out. I'm going to go enjoy uh, yeah uh, clubhouse a little bit, have something to eat. It's a little hot out here today." Yeah, no, he uh, yeah, he looked back. He was telling him, he's like, I told you I was going to get tossed. That was that was great. That, uh, that's 2020 in a nutshell right there, a guy getting tossed in the stands. Uh, but, yeah, no. Um, the other thing I want to talk about with Sports Illustrated is, are you guys aware of the Sid Finch story? Or is this something kind of foreign to you guys? Because this is something that – so. So Sid Finch uh, was a fake baseball player that George Plimpton, who is a world famous uh, uh, writer as well as uh, kind of a guy who who experienced things at a different level. Like I, I believe, um, I, I want to say the Raiders let him return a kick one time just to know how it felt like in a professional game and stuff like that. And he used to write about stuff like that. So he was a very um, non-conventional writer that like would write a lot of really cool stories. So sports illustrated wanted to get in uh, with him on a sport uh, on an April fool's day joke. And they decided to make up a story about a rookie phenom pitcher named Hayden Siddhartha Sid Finch. Uh, he was a rookie baseball pitcher with the New York Mets. And the legend of the story was that he wore a heavy bikers, uh, a heavy hikers boot when pitching and threw 168 miles per hour. There were people that bought into this when they released this back in 85. So they made an entire 108 miles an hour. Yep. With pinpoint accuracy and without needing to warm up. They and Mets fans bought into this. And there, if you guys look up Sid Finch, I'm sure Mutter's doing that. I already found it. It's a a, picture. Yeah, I'm looking at all the pictures. I remember the one picture of him. Uh, throwing the ball in the sand. I think that's yes. the most iconic one. But the other ones I have not seen. 
<laughs> it was one of the, the coolest things that I think Sports Illustrated's ever done. If you guys ever get the chance to, to read the story, I know there's been uh, actual documentaries done on it, but uh, he was actually uh, from the guy that played Sid Finch uh, was from Oak Park, Illinois, which I always find to be so uh, funny. He was a junior yeah. high teacher. His name is Joe Burton. Uh, Joe Burton, junior high uh, art teacher, I think. Um, but yeah, it was just one of the coolest things that I think Sports Illustrated has ever done. And they had so many people believing in this crazy fucking idea that this random uh, country bumpkin with size 17 feet, you know, feet uh, through 168 miles an hour played the trumpet on the side, you know, on the side for fun and it wore a boot while pitching. And people were like, this guy's going to be the next Nolan Ryan. You know, like... Sounds like a children's story. It, it kind of is. I mean, it is. But, you know, Sports Illustrated ended up bat. doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the negatives behind Sports Illustrated, I know everybody here has now, I hope, got or gotten around to watch The, the Last Dance. Um, but you see what, you know, how betrayed Jordan feels from uh, them not actually taking interview questions uh when he was playing with the uh Birmingham Barons and the White Sox organization and they posted the uh cover of uh him swinging through a fastball and uh kind of you know making a joke out of Jordan which uh he obviously didn't appreciate um but yeah can you, do you guys even can you guys even name a sports illustrator that's your favorite right now I would say anything with the swimsuit edition would have been my favorite Pretty sure the Kate Upton one. So I mentioned Kate Upton one, and I'm I've always been in love with Kate Upton. So that that's definitely have to be up there. And I have to go back and look at different Sports Illustrated covers to maybe give you a, an exact that's, one. That's even surprising for me. You chose tits over the Cubs World Series drop. Oh my I, that god, surprises uh, me. Uh, that's tough. Um, I'll that's, choose tits over. Now it. that you bring it up, now it makes me sound like a bad person. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I, can I retract? Can I put Kate Upton's tits as number two? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Because Cubs World Series has always been the best day of my life. I mean, I, I believe they had through it. I believe they had a cover. I mean, they must. They have, did. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say. I know the White Sox had um, the Tribune did like a believe. Uh, uh, I think it, the Tribune did something for them, but I don't know if uh, Sports Illustrated did something for the Sox for the World Series. I, mean, I think they did, though. I think if I remember correctly, like it was like a did, picture of I them think, celebrating. Uh, I think it was I mean, 2005 was the most forgotten about World Series, I think, of all time. I mean, poor, I mean, ESPN still doesn't remember it to this day. Jeez. Yeah, don't get me started on it. I was so pissed. <laughs> it. I, yeah, it's, no, it's, I don't know what it is. It's just brutal, and it just it so happens to be the Sox was, World Series. It, just, it was literally it, it, one of the best teams I've ever seen. Their pitching staff was so good. How can you ignore the 2005 team? Like, it's not – Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, again, we always get off track from these uh, topics at the end in the uh, day of the history of sports, but it's fun to do. But the White Sox – uh, probably had the most dominant playoff uh, performance in like the last 20 years, just like the teams that they ran through too. I mean, we're, I mean, we're talking about uh, fucking, uh, you know, you know, beat, beat teams. We're talking about uh, Vlad Guerrero, um, Roger Clemens, Jeff Bagwell, Roy Oswalt. Uh, the Red Sox had David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, uh, I believe Josh Beckett was with those teams. Yes. Uh, I think maybe even a young Lester, uh, possibly. I think he was either 2005 or 2006, he was a rookie. Um, 
But I'm just saying, like, th- that team had a lot of great uh, uh, players to, to see during that World Series run. I think they just don't get enough credit. Uh, I, I don't think that they were the most talented squad, but it seemed like everybody put together a championship year in the same fucking year. The fact that Dustin Hermanson, a, a failed uh, starting pitcher, decides that he's going to be one of the best relief pitchers in the league and close for the team. That's unbelievable. The fact that it's kind of like that same magic we were talking about with the Cubs. They bring up Wilson Contreras. He hits a home run on Father's Day in his rookie debut, and they're like, well, this is the catcher of the future, I guess. That's the same kind of shit that happened with the 05 White Sox. You know, you lose Dustin Hermanson until the, play, until the playoffs start, and you bring up Bobby Jenks, a guy who uh, you had no idea what you were getting from uh, Los Angeles, and he was a guy that uh, hadn't really lived up to expectations and over there. He comes out throwing fucking BBs past people. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a crazy, crazy world we're living in right now, man. A lot of great things, a lot of great sports, and I'm just happy we get to do this every week. So exciting. Happy, happy to be here always. I think we're going to wrap up the show, boys. You got anything, anything else? Yeah, let's hope the Sox don't fuck up today. Come on, Sox. It's early. It's early. I'm going to try to stay positive. I'm going to try to stay positive. (laughs) Yeah, Hawks Hawks and and, uh, White Sox, hopefully, don't don't give me something to drink about. I'm hoping. Or maybe celebratory drinks. Who knows? Jim Boylan fired, baby. Let's go, Bulls. Jim Boylan fired. We do got to talk some Bulls down the line here. I just feel like they're so irrelevant with all the crazy shit going down in Orlando and the fact that they're not there. Thank God they're not there. But uh, we we do got to talk some Bulls basketball. Yeah, you said it right. They're irrelevant. Yes, 100%. Basketball is irrelevant. Kobe White. Kobe White. Kobe White is my dad. (laughs) All right, boys. Well. I think we're going to wrap up the show there. Uh, we appreciate you guys all for listening week after week. And uh, if you want to drop a subscribe, drop a comment, let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. We can make can make some changes here as we keep going, getting better at this thing. We appreciate you guys coming in and listening to us. Another day, another Dollar Dog Sunday. Mm-hmm.